You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. As a church community, we, we've been going on a bit of a journey this year in God's story. And simply, that means we've been looking how the entire Bible is one big story that's all about Jesus. Sometimes in our world, we can kind of see the books of the Bible as isolated books, can't we? And they are books in and of themselves. However, there are common threads that are running all the way from Genesis to Revelation that are saying the same things, painting the same beautiful picture about a loving God who is faithful and present and endlessly good and forgiving. And these are the kind of things that we've been drawing out as a church family through our series thus far. And last week, Laura shared a great message where she explored the remarkable, remarkable account in numbers of where God actually sovereignly uses a pagan diviner, Balaam, to speak not curses over the nation of Israel, but blessings over the nations of Israel. And here's the the kicker, I guess, God did all this without them knowing, despite their continued disobedience and sin and choice to walk away from him. That is the kind of God he is. And Laura reminded us that God treats all of us today, anyone who would come to him, anyone who has relationship with him, in much the same way. His heart doesn't change. Despite our own continued failure and rebellion, God remains compassionate and merciful and refuses to let go of or give up on us ever. That is the kind of God he is. He's pretty awesome, isn't he? Amen. And so after Numbers, we're doing a 30,000-foot view of the Bible, so we can't dig into everything. But after Numbers, the next book in the Bible is the fifth and final book of the Torah, and it's called Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy gets its name from a Greek word, Deuteronomian, which simply means second law. And we're not going to go into this in a heap of detail today, but when you do actually take the time to dig into Deuteronomy, you see that it's perfectly named. You can see why it's called Deuteronomy, because Deuteronomy is made up of three key sections. The first one, Moses doing some encouraging speeches in chapters 1 to 11. Then a really long section where Moses shares the law, along with some new ones in chapters 12 to 26. And then it concludes with some final speeches from Moses in chapters 27 to 34. Now you might be thinking, well, why am I telling you all this? Because this book, all that's contained within Deuteronomy sets the scene for what we're going to look at today. And what we're looking at today is Israel's entry into and victory in taking the promised land. So you might be thinking, well, what does Moses share in these encouraging words to the nation of Israel? And and let's remember, like, time has passed over this time. They spent a long time wandering around in the desert. There's people in this nation of Israel who wouldn't have necessarily been familiar with some of the miraculous things that have occurred, like the deliverance out of Egypt, 
um, the parting of the Red Sea and things like this. So what Moses does is he recognises that and then he tells the stories again. He, he tells them, he reminds them of the kind of God that they are following, that they are serving. For instance, he, he shares the, the Red Sea miracle. He, he, he recognised that a lot of the young'uns that he was speaking to wouldn't have had first-hand experience of God as a deliverer, of God, the miracle-working God. So he recounts this particular amazing event to really bring home for them the kind of God that they serve. The other thing Moses does is he, he reminds them of the countless mistakes that their forefathers and foremothers made and he encourages them to learn from their mistakes and to not take the same path moving forward. And then Moses, as I said, there's a long section there where Moses shares the law, the, the, the terms of the covenant made on Sinai, and he shares this with a new generation because, remember, we looked at the law and the law isn't something that's bad for us. The law is something that is wonderful for people to follow because it's the terms in which people can be close to God. That's what it's all about. And so he's, he's bringing it home to them, guys, God is a God of relationship. He wants to know us and these are the ways that we honour him and these are the ways that we draw near by keeping his commands. And essentially, he reminds them that ultimately obeying God and following his ways always leads to blessing in one form or another, whereas disobeying God and going our own way always leads in cursing and brokenness in one way or another. And then you can do in a very quick overview, but Moses then also shares some prophetic poems about the future of Israel. So it's like he's taking them on a, here where we, here's where we were, here's some of the things we need to learn, here's the wonder of God's law and being able to be close to him, and here's some promises still to come. And so he was encouraging this new generation to continue to have faith like their forefathers did sometimes, as sometimes we all do, don't we? Um, that God has still got great things in store for them. God is the God who fulfills his promises. So we're not going to go into all that in detail today, but I encourage you, do yourself a favour this week and actually just have a read through Deuteronomy to kind of put yourself in that particular time and place, imagining you were one of that new generation of Israel who perhaps hadn't heard about all these incredible things of happening for their, their fathers and that sort of thing and the parting of the Red Sea and put yourself in that place and even now kind of put yourself in that place because that will help then see why what's to come in the book of Joshua is so significant. So Moses does all this. He, he speaks to them, he encourages them, he warns them, he spurs them on, he points them to look forward, and then he dies. The nation of Israel, they, they mourn his death for 30 days before they appoint a new leader. And I said it just before, it was a man called Joshua, son of Nun, who Moses had actually previously set apart for that role. Deuteronomy 34 verse 9 says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
And so Joshua, at this point, we see Joshua takes the reins, so to speak, with God obviously leading the way. But Joshua takes the reins at the head of Israel, and he actually does what Moses couldn't. He leads the nation of Israel into the promised land. And as God did with Moses, God makes some truly incredible promises to this young man. He promises to be faithful to Joshua and to work out his sovereign plans for all of Israel through him. If, and here, it's conditional. It's always conditional with God, isn't it? Blessing will come if. Cursing will come for sure if. But God says, I'll do this. I'll be faithful. I'll work out my plans for Israel if you trust me and remain strong and courageous. Let's read Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 to 9. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, as far as your eyes can see, will, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be to, with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do, to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a promise. Man, imagine hearing that straight from, straight from God. What a good, good God. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Joshua, or if you've never read it before, the, the early, ch early chapters of Joshua, there's so many different things that you could kind of focus in on and, and, and really celebrate as you share uh, a message. You know, you could think of the remarkable account of Rahab, the prostitute, in Jericho, who protected and hid spies sent out by the nation of Israel to kind of stake out the lie of the land. And, and she was a remarkable account there. You could think of the grand crossing of Israel across the River Jordan, carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the Promised Land. Even the way that this new generation of Israel actually heard what Joshua said to them, heard what God said through Joshua, and did obey the commandments. They celebrated a first Passover 
in the promised land. The, the men were circumcised in accordance with the law, setting them apart as people who belong to God. And, you know, there's so many things in those first five chapters alone that you could kind of draw out and chat around. But today, I just wanted to jump straight in to Joshua chapter 6 and focus in on this battle of Jericho, a time when Joshua and the the broader nation of Israel really did need to be strong and courageous and really did need to trust that God was with them wherever they went, whatever it was they were up against. If you've ever read a kid's Bible account of this event, you'd likely see a picture much like that. That's from one of our prayer Bibles that we do with our kids for devotions. And, you know, often it's either a soldier or a bunch of soldiers looking up, maybe they're with their knees knocking at this fearsome walls of Jericho. And if, if you want to see something incredible, do some historical research into Jericho and see the actual setting. Jericho was like up on this this mountaintop, and there were multiple walls down from where the Israelites would have been standing, looking up at this towering, impenetrable fortress, really. And this is the place God's telling us to take. You can only imagine. But this is generally the kind of image that you get when many, many of us probably think about it. But here's the thing. If we turn to God's Word, if we, if we open up Scripture and look at the events that immediately, just before, precede this taking of Jericho, we find a remarkable account, a truly remarkable account. And I want to suggest today that this account is actually central to everything that happens afterwards. What's the event I'm talking about? I'm talking about Joshua's divine encounter with an angel, with the commander, the very commander of God's army. Now, for you, what comes to mind when you think, when you hear that word angel said? What comes to mind? Do you think of like a a cute little cherub, like the kind of angels that might be on a Valentine's Day gift for a loved one, the little cute things that are all fluffy and float around and shoot little bows and arrows like this, like... For, for some of us, I'm sure you can think of that. Or, or maybe, you know, you can, you can think of the kind of angel that would sit on one shoulder in a Looney Tunes cartoon. You know, you've got the devil on one side and then you've got the angel on the other. Maybe for you, that's your kind of image of an angel. Well, Scripture paints a very different point of view of what angelic beings can look like. And there's a range of different angels in the Bible. I'm not going to go into that now, but... The, the one that Joshua encounters is a, is a really good example. So let's read Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15 to find out. Here's the encounter. So when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? 
And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So we can see here that in this encounter, this divine encounter, the angel appeared in the form of a man before Joshua. Now remember, angels are spirit beings. They're not created in God's image like we are as human beings, although, as we see here, angels can appear in human form like this one did. And he came, for, uh, he came with a key message for Joshua. Now, we kind of read it and we can kind of go, okay, there's some interesting things in there, but there's actually a whole lot more than meets the eye in what he shares with Joshua right here. First, the fact that an angel even appears right at this moment, right? Right at this moment as Israel are about to go and take the promised land um, would have been a source of incredible comfort and encouragement for Joshua. How so? How so? Well, the visiting of an angel at this point actually fulfilled a promise that God had made many, many years before. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 20 to 33, we're not going to look at all of that now, but God promised that he would send an angel to secure Israel's success in their conquest of Canaan. I just want to turn our eyes to a couple of verses, reading from Exodus 23, 20 to 22. It says, God says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Do you see that? So again, right here, we see God encouraging Israel to trust and obey. To trust and obey. And again, we see God reminding Israel, Hey guys, you're not going to do this. I am your deliverer. I am your deliverer. God is saying, I'm the one who is going to bring you and lead you into victory, and I will be an enemy to your enemies. Israel are being reminded here, hey, you're not going to win this battle on your own, but you'll win if you trust in and obey God. It's fulfillment of a promise, reminder that God's going to do the heavy lifting. Man, I don't know, if you're hearing that, wouldn't that, and you were familiar with the scriptures, wouldn't have that have just brought you such peace and encouragement, even as you're looking up at a fortress before you. And notice that the angel highlights that he, as the commander of God's army, is on God's side. You know, Joshua says, hey, are you for us or against us? And he said, nah, I'm on God's side. And even, even responding to Joshua's question like that, he is bringing home again to Joshua what God said in Exodus 23 and over and over and over again throughout Scripture, this truth of the reality is either you're for God or you're against God. 
He's like, Joshua, either you're for God or you're against God. Either you're for me or you're against me. God doesn't take sides. God just does whatever he wants to do at whatever particular point in time, and he always does what's best all the time. That's just who he is. He's, he's perfect. He's faultless. He does what is best, and he always fulfills his promise. And I guess for us, you know, we all, we all need, Joshua needed to be sure that he's on God's side, and that's exactly what the angel encourages him in, even in saying that. Now, there's even more. And verse 15 is key. In response to Joshua's second question, what does uh, my Lord say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army says, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. Now, that's a pretty strange thing to say, don't you think? When you're addressing someone who's about to go into war, you know, just take off your sandals chill out, you know, have a relax. What's he, what's he actually getting at here? It seems like a fairly ambiguous word to give someone as they're about to head into battle. Well, in actual fact, this angel couldn't have given Joshua a clearer message. He couldn't have made it more clear for Joshua. It was like the cherry on top of all he'd said previously. It was almost like this line that the angel said was actually music to Joshua's ears. How so? Well, the words spoken by the angel were the very same words that God had spoken to encourage a previous leader of Israel. The very same words that God said to Moses when he encountered God at the burning bush in Exodus 3 and verse 5. I mean, just hearing all this, reflecting on all this, can you see how encouraging this encounter that would have been for Joshua with this angelic being. Like, can you imagine, like, being, like, the pictures portray, staring up at this fortress going, oh, God, you're going to have to come through, and then all of a sudden having this angelic encounter and God saying, I will, I will, I will, trust me, obey, be strong and courageous. Can you imagine how encouraging that would have been? Joshua was reminded by God over and over and over again, I've got this. I've got this. It's my plan. I'm faithful. I won't let you down. I'll take you into battle. I'll lead you to victory. We will take the promised land. And all you need to do, Joshua, is to be strong and courageous and trust me. And we see that Trust him, he does. What's, what's Joshua's immediate reaction as soon as he hears, take off your sandals for this is holy ground? He takes off his sandals. He obeys the word of the angel. He humbles himself before the Lord, removing his sandals, and he worships. And now let's, let's be careful here. He's not worshiping an angel. We don't worship, we don't worship God alone. But, but he is reverently recognizing that this angel is a messenger from the Lord. This angel is speaking as God to him right at this moment. And he takes off his sandals and he worships his mighty, mighty God. Just has a moment of worship like we did when we came into his presence. Like we're still in his presence, but, you know, just visibly doing that before God. And God's here with us. This is what he's thinking. This is holy ground. 
Right, so let's, let's turn our eyes now to the battle account. If you've never read this before, if you're not familiar with the, the battle at Jericho, you're probably thinking two things. Maybe if you're seeking, you've read some of the Old Testament before and you think of two things, blood and guts. Yeah? Is that maybe a good summary for, for some of the Old Testament? Blood and guts. And, you know, Israel, you're thinking Israel heads into battle. They take the enemy by surprise with God empowering them. They slay the opposition and they take the land promised to them. Well, that, that is what happened. But Israel's victory came about in a truly unexpected and bizarre, really, way. In Joshua 6, verses 2 to 5, we read this bizarre battle plan that God shared with Joshua to follow. Let's, let's turn and look at it now. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Right. Let's just be real here for a moment, okay? If you were Joshua, let's just get in Joshua's sandals, right? If you were Joshua and you hadn't just had this divine encounter with an angel, you would be really tempted to just break ranks immediately, wouldn't you? You wouldn't be worried about a court-martial. You'd be, you'd be going, this is crazy. I, I thought that was God speaking to me, but that, there's no way that can be God speaking to me. That is nuts. We're going to be sitting ducks. We will be picked off one by one. We will be destroyed. We won't inherit the promised land. We will be a laughing stock forever ruled to the history books of being a bunch of idiots who did the most idiotic thing and got slaughtered. Like, that's a pretty fair assessment, isn't it? That's kind of what I thought when I was reflecting on it. This just won't work. But, <laughs> but what does Joshua, how does Joshua, who actually did have this remarkable divine encounter with an angel, respond? He responds with the exact same strength and courage he'd shown previously. He trusts and obeys God. He, he just, he's all in. He trusts and obeys God. He's faithful. He shares this very unusual battle plan with the troops. Remarkably, they listen and they follow. They, they do everything that God asks and Joshua shares. And they march around Jericho with the Ark of the Covenant. And who knows what, what's the Ark of the Covenant? God dwelling with the nation of Israel, his very presence being with the people. They march around for the six days and on the seventh day, let's read the account. Joshua six fifteen to 21. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. 
And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you... Keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep and donkeys with the edge of the sword. Wow. What a remarkable battle. God did what he promised to do. He led the nation of Israel to victory. And here's the thing, because we can kind of read those bloody accounts where God said, destroy these people, destroy men, women, and children, and all their possessions, and kind of go, whoa, that's full on. But God actually had said previously that that was what he was going to do in order to judge the land of Canaan, the Canaanites, for their sin. That was going to be their consequence if they continued to behave in a certain way, this is what was going to come about. So in actual fact, God's doing two things here. He's giving Israel the promised land and he's also enacting judgment on sin. And that's what we see here. You can look at at Deuteronomy 20 and 16 to 17 to find that. Um, But he's doing it in the most bizarre, incredible way. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you have taken the time to do this. Have you ever stopped to kind of consider why it was that God asked Joshua to lead Israel into battle with this bizarre battle plan? Have you ever kind of taken the time to think about it? Why God sovereignly chose or chose not to kind of just just empower them, divinely empower them, make them strong and courageous so they could win in a kind of battle that they'd be pretty well versed in fighting, like they'd be kind of familiar with living in their day and age. Why didn't he do that? Well, I'd say it's for a, a very simple reason. God knew that if he strengthened them for battle in the way that battles were normally fought and won in those days, they, whilst initially maybe giving him the glory and the honour and saying, God, it was you who won the victory, eventually they'd slip back to thinking it was all on them. That they were actually the ones who brought about all these things in their own strength, in their own wisdom, in their own power. You know, God delivered Israel and he brought judgment on Canaan in such an unusual, bizarre way so that they could be left without any shadow of a doubt that he was the one who brings about his promises. He was the one who was going to and did deliver them and give them the promised land. He was showing them that he is the one who fights his 
battles. He's the one who leads them to victory, but only leads people who side with him to victory, those who choose to trust and obey him. And friends, that thing, that exact thing, trusting and obeying God in the battle, being strong and courageous in him, because that's what being strong and courageous was. It wasn't that he had to sort of summon up this extra energy in and of himself to be strong and, and to be courageous in the, in the face of the mighty men of valor and the big turrets and the impenetrable forces before fortress before him. That was not it. Joshua, God asked Joshua to be strong and courageous by truly just trusting him. By refusing to think there was anything in and of himself that could get the job done, but to truly trust in God. And that, trusting and obeying God in the battle, being strong and courageous in him, is exactly what God invites all of us to do today as followers of Jesus. Or if you're seeking, God invites you to do that for the very first time this morning. We all face battles in life, don't we? We all face battles in life. Many, many battles. For some of us, simply getting out of bed in the morning is a battle. Our battles look a whole lot different to the battles that we read of in the Old Testament. Battles of history, even modern-day horrific battles that we're seeing right now over in Ukraine and all other parts of the world as well. But they're genuine battles, all the same. They are genuine battles. We regularly face financial battles, relationship battles, maybe battles in the workplace with co-workers or, or managers or whatever, health battles, all kinds of battles that... that can leave us feeling overwhelmed, can leave us, more often than not, lost, struggling to know what to do, where to go, where to turn. And just as he did with the Israelites all the way back in Canaan, when God gave them this truly bizarre battle plan, God puts forward a pretty bizarre battle plan for us to follow today as well. God actually invites us to fight our battles by giving up. God actually invites us to fight our battles by giving up control. By giving up trying to, to fight it alone, to work it out alone, to, to pave a way through whatever the challenge is we're facing in, by our own willpower and strength. God invites us to give up working things out with our own brains, with our own intellect, with our own willpower and wisdom. And instead, this is just how good our God is. Instead, he invites us to give up, to trust our battles to him, and then to let him actually fight on our behalf. Friends, what battles are you facing? What battles are you facing right now, today? Be encouraged. Be encouraged today because God is with you. God's with you right now. It mightn't feel like it. 
He might feel somewhat distant. You might feel that sense of distance. But God is faithful. He is with you right now, even in that battle. He's alongside you as you stand and fight in battle. And be encouraged because he wants to fight on your behalf. And as we saw with Israel, what was required? Their obedience. And God invites us to give up, to relinquish control, and actually let him fight for us. If the music team could come back up, that would be great. I just really feel like the Lord wants us to, to have a time of prayer ministry, a time of presenting our battles symbolically to him. I was praying, I was praying this week as you know, just prepping and, and waiting on the Lord. And I just felt God say a, a really simple word to us. Maybe this is for one person this morning. Maybe this is for a couple of people. Maybe this is for a majority of people here today. I don't know and I don't care because if one heart gets impacted and encouraged and someone goes further in faith in Jesus Christ, then it's all worth it, isn't it? I just really felt the Lord say that you can trust your battles with me. You can trust your battles with me. It's as simple as that. I don't even need to know what your battles are. But I I want us to symbolically respond and come forward for some prayer and just in a sign that, you know what, God, I'm actually, I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to fight this battle alone. Or maybe I've I've done a good job of tag-teaming with you, but I'm sick of that because it just doesn't work. I want to relinquish control and I want to give my battles to you so you can actually fight them for me and bring breakthrough in whatever it is. So if that's you today, as the music team just just play, uh, we are going to respond and see what Holy Spirit wants to do in some hearts this morning. So let's just take a moment and then I'll um, invite you forward for prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just take a moment just to pray for all of us and then um, we'll actually close with a very short communion together. Father God, we just want to praise you that you are that beautiful, generous, kind, faithful God still that we read of in Joshua all the way back then when you led Israel into the promised land. God, we thank you that whilst our battles are different, you care about our battles today. You care about what we're going through. You, you hate to see us suffering or you hate to see us striving and trying to do things and that we really can't handle, Lord. And you just long that we would give up control, we would relinquish control and hand over our battles to you. And so, Lord, we pray for all of us today, myself included, God, grow us as people who give up. Grow us as people who give up fighting in our own strength, with our own wisdom, with our own might and power, God, and let us be people who give up and then come to you and present our needs before you, Lord, and present our battles before you and trust you to fight our battles on our behalf. So thank you, Holy Spirit, that that is who you are. You are the God who fights the battles. You are the God who brings the victories that you want to see brought to pass. And so we just trust you, Jesus. We trust you and invite you 
to do that work in each of our lives so that, as we heard earlier in our service, so that we would have testimony after testimony like Israel did of just how faithful and good you are at bringing about good things for those who trust in you. So we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.